a Podcast One production. <clears throat> well, looks like we've survived the week. Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. Yeah, it's been such a good week. Hello, Gistners, and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And we have emerged from the US election week. Rosie, how are you feeling? Oh my goodness, I'm feeling amazing and I just want to tell you what this week's topic is really quickly because I'm so desperate to get to break the news to talk about Mm -hmm. election-related things. So this week's topic is, and you're going to have to brace yourself because you are a squeamish man and this is just full (sighs) of the squeam, I will be giving you the messed up history of the ice pick lobotomy. Oh. <laughs> just thought we need, you know, just a little little pick me up, little oh. little ray of sunshine through your ear holes because other the ice pick is through the eye holes and it's a hole to do. So that's what we'll be talking about, but first <gasps> Breaking nose, I'm breaking nose. I got the scoop. I see X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it. I'm breaking nose. What a joyous breaking news! Joe Biden, Kamala Harris won the U.S. election. Thank God. The only thing I want to talk about, though, is four words, four seasons, total landscaping. <laughs> I knew you would love this. This is all I want to talk about. So for those who don't know, let me give you a brief little rundown, a brief little just the gist of Four Seasons Total Landscaping. So as you all know, Donald Trump is a psycho narcissist who cannot accept that he's lost, even though it is quite clear that he lost. He's mm-hmm. alleging voter fraud. He's do- he's basically, I think, it seems to me like deluding himself. Like people are saying, surely he knows he didn't win and he's just, he's like got too much of an ego. But I honestly think as a narcissist, and I was reading all this interesting stuff about narcissists, they delude themselves into believing it is impossible for them to ever lose. So he, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff about, well, they didn't vote that and there's 10,000 dead people voted in that state and it's all nonsense, but I think he genuinely believes it. So Mm -hmm. he's got his lawyers on the loose, the most famous of which is Rudy Giuliani, saying that they are going, Joe Biden hasn't won, Donald Trump's won, and they're going to sue, sue everyone, sue everything, (laughs) sue, I don't, sue, like... Ronald McDonald, they're going to sue Oprah, they're going to sue Beyonce, they're going to sue <laughs> the kids from Stranger Things, everyone's getting sued. And so they decided to hold a press conference to talk about how they're going to sue to um, contest the results of the election. And Donald Trump tweeted, press conference with my lawyers, 11am, four seasons. And then five minutes later, that tweet got deleted and he said, press conference, 11am, Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And everyone was like, what? (laughs) And so then there was a press conference with his lawyers talking about contesting the election in a back alleyway up against the wall of a landscaping business called Four Seasons Total Landscaping in the middle of nowhere next door to a dildo shop and adult bookstore and across the road from a crematorium (laughs) and the world's most elite press all wandered into this, like, very shady-looking place and they stuck some Trump posters on the wall and held a press conference. And everyone was like, okay, this has happened for uh, what is possibly one of a few reasons. Somebody in the Trump campaign thought they were booking the Four Seasons Hotel for Mm -hmm. a press conference, but they Mm -hmm. accidentally booked Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And by the time they realised it was too late, And so they had Mm -hmm. to just hold the press conference there. What are your thoughts? What do you think? I think that's exactly what happened. I think they didn't realise until it was too late that they'd organised to have it at that location, which had been booked probably by some 
hapless intern. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they've proven that their whole team is just full of completely incompetent people. Yeah. Um, they've then chosen, well, it's too late to get the actual four seasons. We've got no choice but to actually just go ahead and mm-hmm. do the press conference here. The most wonderful thing about the whole um, conference was, though, Rudy Giuliani saying multiple times, do you think we're stupid? Do we look stupid to you when he's trying <laughs> yeah, you to convince do. the world that they know the truth about the election? Do we look stupid? <laughs> do we look stupid when we're standing in front of a four seasons total landscaping next door to a dildo shop across the road from a crematorium? Do we look stupid? Yes. Okay, but I've been fascinated by this because to me that excuse and that story doesn't make sense because why? Mm. What is the phone call? When a staffer calls up Four Seasons Total Landscaping and says, can we please hold a press conference there? Who Mm. on the phone in the garage at Four Seasons Total Landscaping says, yes, we accommodate press conferences. That's part of our business. Like, I don't think it could have, it's possible that it was a mistake. Like, to me, that doesn't make sense. So I was looking into it a bit more and Mm. a bunch of journalists have trying to sort of like, been trying to track down the truth. Mm. And this is what they say they think actually happened. Donald Trump tweeted out, we will be holding our press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel in Philadelphia, Mm. but Mm. he didn't get permission. Nobody in their team asked Four Seasons. Four Seasons were like, get effed. No, thank you. And then Uh to avoid, because Donald Trump will never admit that he made a mistake, to avoid Mm. admitting that they'd effed up, his team got on Google Maps and, like, got on Google and just Googled Four Seasons and looked at the maps, anything around called Four Seasons that they could say, oh, we we meant that Four Seasons. (laughs) And so there's a whole bunch of businesses called Four Seasons, you know, Nail Salon and Four Seasons something and Four Seasons something else. Four Seasons Total Landscaping was the only thing feasibly kind of big enough logistically to have a press conference. So that was Mm. kind of their only option because the owner of Four Seasons Total Landscaping said someone called her like literally the morning of it. So like right Mm. around the time when Donald Trump tweeted and they said, hey, to us, it's we want to hold a press conference there. And she was like, what do you mean? And he, they were just like, look, it's a safe location and it's got easy access from the highway, so that's why. And she was just like, well, yeah, okay, but, I mean, we've just got an alleyway and a garage door, but, like, sure. And so that's what the owner said. She got a call that morning, so obviously hadn't been Uh planned. Or So I honestly think it was Donald Trump just jumped the gun and then they were like, oh, shit, what else is called Four Seasons in the area? Okay, yeah, that does make more sense than in my mind it was just a real-world version of Jim Halpert took the call (laughs) and sort of mischievously (laughs) agreed. Yeah, Um, sure. (laughs) (laughs) One of my other favourite things. Have you been on the Facebook page for Fantasy Island, which is the dildo shop next door? Dildo shop? No, I haven't. No. It's... They were loving it because business was booming for them and it actually has been ever since the press conference because everyone wants to go to that location and take part in history and while they're there, they're popping into Fantasy Island and grabbing some furry handcuffs. Yeah, and I actually... So I already, I'm not ashamed to say, purchased a Four Seasons Total Landscaping (laughs) T-shirt because this girl on Etsy, who Etsy is that website where people make cool stuff and sell it, she was like, look, I'm a few mimosas in and this is just too funny, so I just quickly threw together a T-shirt design and all Mm. the profits from it will go to Democratic candidates in Georgia... Mm-hmm. And literally they sold like 10,000 T-shirts in five seconds. So they raised a lot of money and it was really cool. But then yeah. Four Seasons Total Landscaping was like, well, we want to make money off merch. So now yeah. Four Seasons Total Landscaping quickly put together a website. And when you go to it, the first <laughs> thing that comes up is we have merch. And they're selling T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. They're like all over. Everyone's trying to cash in on what is the perfect ending to this nightmare presidential term and just joke of a presidency. 
It could not have ended in a more fitting way. Yes. At a landscaping <laughs> place in an alleyway, across from the dildo shop and next to the crematorium. I just... <gasps> oh, with Rudy Giuliani oh. asking, do we look stupid? Yeah. Chef's kiss, chef's kiss, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. I could not give it enough. Chef's kisses. <laughs> So amazing. It was so amazing. But yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I we were joking last week about how we weren't sure if the nukes would have gone off, what would have happened Mm. by now. And it still feels like a possibility, like he's refusing to concede. We're recording this on Tuesday. So as of Tuesday, he's still not, you know, Trump's not giving up, not saying that mm-hmm. Biden's really won. Biden's already given a uh, winning speech. So has Kamala. Yep. They did it on Sunday. So um, yep. I'm going to be so fascinated to see how the next few months, well, because he is in the White House until the 20th of January. That's the official inauguration day, the handover mm-hmm. of the presidency. Mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated because he's going to be such a baby, like little things like I don't think he'll go to inauguration day. Do you? Because traditionally, the outgoing president sits on stage behind the new mm. president. Like, they have him to the White House. They change things over. Like, mm. you you know, when Obama sat behind Donald Trump on that stage, you could tell he didn't like it, but he did it mm. because it's part yep. of democracy. It's part of, like, yeah. well, he won fair and square. I don't think Donald Trump will do any of that stuff. I'm really fascinated to see how he handles it all. It will be really interesting to see. I mean, normally the first lady does a handover tour to the mm. um, first lady elect and there are so many things that involve the current president and current first lady handing over to the new administration i don't see them participating yeah you know, no. in a dignified way in that at all between now and then though i can tell you of course my friend who's into QAnon and is a big trump supporter oh, yeah. she's How's she right taken in it? there oh they are all just choosing to believe that this has all been blown up by the media, that it is fraud. She genuinely believes that it is fraud. She tweeted something saying that, um, you know, there's just no way that someone could go to sleep one night, 700,000 votes ahead, and then wake up the next morning and they're trailing behind. Like, they can't wrap their heads around the fact that that can and did happen. And so they're just choosing to believe that it's all been a lie. What's crazy to me is they keep saying, how come as, like, time went on and more votes got counted, we started losing. And it's like, because that's how counting works. <laughs> One number got added to a number, another number, which got added to another number, and he got more. Like, they keep going, how come as time went on, he Biden started winning? And it's like, because mm. they were counting the votes, you mm. idiots. <laughs> like, I don't understand. So is yeah. she, like, thinking... It's going to be fine and it will get overturned and Trump will win. She's choosing to stay positive and to put the message out there that this is all part of Trump's plan and this is part of what the light warriors have been working towards and that this is all a bit of a misdirect that's going to be helpful in the long run to smoke out the people who really lead the deep state. So this is how they just sort of weave it into their own little narrative that it's all happening the way that it's meant to. And then they make these playful little jokes like, can't wait to see the musical version of this when history looks back on it and they tell the story of Trump and the saviors of the world. Like, it's they really truly believe that they are on the right side and that they Mm. are going to win and that this is all just a little bit of a farcical road bump along the way that they're going to get past. They won't accept defeat. And that's why I think this is still a pretty dangerous, precarious position that we're in. Well, yeah, I think it is. But, I mean, the one thing that's making me feel a little more at ease is that even Fox News has turned against him. Even Fox News Mm. is saying you've lost, you've legitimately lost. Fox News today um, cut away from a press conference from the White House because they Mm. weren't, that for even Fox News were like, we cannot in good conscience show you you this because Mm. we know they're not saying the truth. And so Mm. Fox News even turning against them is a big deal. I think whatever happens, whether he gets dragged out of the White House, my White House or not, my instinct is that he will just leave like a big baby. Like next week, he won't even go to January 20. Like he'll just be Mm. like, F you. He'll pardon himself because apparently Mm. he is at risk of getting prosecuted for a lot of dodgy things he did, as are people in his, you know, inner circle. So 
while he's president, he's still able to pardon himself. He's able to pardon mm-hmm. the people around him. I think he'll do that. And then he'll just go, bye, and go to Mar-a-Lago and play golf. But the thing that um, is making me feel uneasy is that the reason Fox News has stepped away and the reason other right-wing media and right-wing people have stepped away is because uh, he's toxic now, so they're like, come on, let's accept defeat because mm. in 2024, you know who they want to run? Ivanka. Oh, gross, really? Oh. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's why she has stayed clear of this. We have not heard of her from her since election night. She's not tweeting any crazy stuff. She's like, and so everyone on the right side of things is like, okay, we need to admit that he's lost because in 2024... Mm. We either want him to run again or, if not, Ivanka. Wow. You don't think that she's been tainted by his brand? She's such a big part of his brand. But his brand is successful. Like, Joe Biden may have had a clear victory, yes. He got the most votes of any incoming president ever, yes. But Donald Trump got the second most votes of any president in an election ever. Like, I think Joe Biden ended up on around 75 and he ended up with around and with around 72. So mm. there is still a huge group of people behind him. Mm. And Ivanka doesn't seem as nuts. I think there are a lot of left wing, like left wing, I say that in inverted commas, uh, you know, white ladies who as soon as Ivanka is running, they're like, well, she's not as crazy as Trump and... I like her and I'm a Karen, so she, I think a lot of votes would flip for her anyway. Could talk about this all day, but that's um, the word on the street is Ivanka 2024. Oh, okay, gross. Well, let's hope that Kamala and um, Joe are able to achieve some really fantastic and convincing things in the next four years so that they can prove to the world that it is so much better to actually have competent leaders in mm. place than the <laughs> farce that we've been exposed to. Wasn't it sad years. that when they both gave their speeches on Sunday, everyone was like, oh, it's just so nice to hear someone talking in coherent sentences. Mm. And it's like, we have been traumatised if that is the standard we are excited about now. Yeah. Like, oh, mm. isn't it nice to just hear a speech that makes sense? Mm. <laughs> like, what? The standard yeah. is so low. Yeah. Oh, dear. Just to be earnest for a second, though, I thought they did a fantastic job with those speeches Mm. and I was bawling my eyes out from the minute they started from the minute Kamala came out and she had a Mary J Blige song playing I was just gone and then it just kept building and building and building and the moment that was a really big deal for me and I don't even know if this has really been written about a lot but the fact that um Joe Biden said that he was going to be a president for people of every race and Mm. um, regardless of their political alignment and regardless of gender, sexuality, and he was going to be a president for gay people, straight people and transgender people. Mm. The fact that he mentioned transgender people, I thought that was just such a big deal and shows Mm. such stark, stark contrast in terms of his determination to be a really inclusive as opposed to a divisive Mm. president. So that had me melting. And then they started playing Whitney Houston at the end of the speeches (laughs) and I was just gone for the rest of the day. Just gone, just gone. Yeah. Well, Um, fingers crossed. I mean, I, I personally find Kamala the more charismatic, exciting leader for sure. Um, so I hope this leads goes on to her becoming president yeah. at some point. Mm. Um, but we'll see what happens. It's exciting. Mm. All right. So the other two quick things I have is that on the day your podcast episode about Rudy Kaniawan came out, mm. it was announced in the news he was released from prison. Yeah. <laughs> the wine fraudster. <laughs> I so I was looking up I was looking up links to put in the show notes and the very first news story was like, hey, he got out of jail today and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> We've already <laughs> recorded. <laughs> so um on Friday he got released from prison and immediately deported to Indonesia and mm. no one quite knows where he is now. So I'm hoping he no. watched sour grapes on the plane and uh, we'll see where he <laughs> pops up again next. Yeah, I wondered if he had ever actually seen that documentary. I don't know if they've got access to Netflix in the prison he was in. Yeah, it came out while he was in prison and I'm pretty sure they Mm. make a point of not letting prisoners watch things about themselves. Like, wouldn't that be Uh a bit... I don't know. Yeah, 
Um, mm. that, okay, that would make sense because I feel like it kind of glorified him in a way. Mm, a little. Um, and justified his actions. But I hope he enjoys it when he does watch it. We didn't plan that timing at all. No. But um, I've been trying, I've been looking every day to see if there have been any news reports. And of mm. course, they've covered the fact that he was released. No one has any images of him. And because, um, is it ICE? Is that the government agency that mm. controls um, deporting people? Yeah. They're always very secretive. So we don't have any information about about where he mm. actually is, but we know that the plan was as soon as he finished his prison term, he was going to be sent back to Jakarta. So I think we can pretty safely assume he's there now and can't wait to yeah. see where he pops up next. I'm excited. A scammer can't help but scam. So he's not mm. just going to retire into the night. He's going to pop up somewhere with, you know, I don't know, fake tomato sauce or something. We'll see. <laughs> and the other quick thing that we didn't mention last week, um, but it happened last week, was that Keith Raniere of Nexium got sentenced to 120 years in prison. Mm. I know. Yeah. But he is still maintaining that he's innocent. He's maintaining that all the women are lying. He's maintaining that there is a conspiracy against him. And the frustrating thing is that he has managed to start a podcast from prison because his followers, he still has a lot of followers and they're calling him and he's going on these long rambling self-indulgent sermons on the phone that they're recording and then releasing. And I'm not even going to provide a link. I didn't even go and Mm. listen to it. I just heard a little clip of it because I think I saw a news story about it or something. Get effed. I, he doesn't deserve a voice. I don't even want to amplify it or give him one. Like, I don't want to hear mm-hmm. what he has to say. So, mm-hmm. but he's still got followers and, you know, two of them are billionaires because those billionaire Bromph sisters are still believe in him and are still. Oh, they're know. females who are still believing in him. Oh, all, all of all. I don't think. Oh, wow. Yeah. All females. Yes. Oh, God. Okay. I can't wait till you do that episode. I'm dying to watch those TV series that you recommended, but I'm waiting because I want to get the gist from you first. Yeah. Okay. I should do it. Well, I feel like it's kind of wrapped itself up enough now because I was waiting because it was so in flux and I was like, Mm. oh, there's no point doing it yet because he's still on trial. But I guess now that he's been sentenced, we could do it. Mm. Um, So that was for this week, unless you've got anything. Besides oh. how your hair looks glorious and blonde and curly, that's always breaking <sighs> news. It's always worth talking about. Um, no, in all honesty, all of last week, I was so obsessed with the election, election which was a very, same. very new experience for me. I have never ridden an election wave like that ever. I know. Um, I can't believe you were thoughts. interested in politics. I know. And I think part of what made it such an emotional experience for me is because it was my first time. I was Mm. an election virgin and I really dove deep into it. So from the minute I woke up until the minute that I went to sleep, which a few times was 2am because I just wanted Mm. to see all the updates happening overseas, I was absolutely obsessed. It was like the extreme version of, you know, when you first start dating someone and all you want to do is constantly check your phone to see if there's a message from them and you tell yourself that you're not going to check, you're not going to check, but then you have this deep impulse that you just have to check and then you'll get a little crumb of something, a teeny tiny little bit of Mm. information, but it'll be enough that it feels like an indulgent feast and it'll lead you on some separate little rabbit hole that you go down because, yeah, you get that shot of dopamine. Oh, dude, you're describing being on Twitter. (laughs) That's just what Twitter's (laughs) like. (laughs) I was so obsessed with the election that I gave myself a black eye. Did you drop your phone on your eye? No, kind. Well, I was (laughs) looking at my phone, refreshing Twitter, refreshing Twitter, like reading because Twitter during the election is what kind of keeps you, keeps it almost literally hooked to your veins. And I walked Mm. over to the fridge and I opened the fridge door with my other hand while looking at Twitter, looking at Twitter. And the second I moved my phone to open the fridge door, I smashed myself in the face oh, and gave myself oh, no. a black eye. So I literally, like, walked into a door, which is the classic <laughs> excuse. <laughs> but I literally did smash myself in the face with the fridge door, which I was going to to get a glass of wine because I was so obsessed with election tweets. Oh, my God. I have been saying all week I am in an abusive relationship with this election coverage yeah. and yours literally ended in a black yes. eye. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it did. Oh, oh, man. 
Yeah, I think we all just need to step back. You know what? You know what'll be a nice palate cleanser? Hearing about ice picks going through eye sockets. Are you ready for this? <laughs> what the hell inspired you to do this episode? I don't know. I've got I've got a list of like topics that I've just it's so long and I've been mm. adding to it for like two years ever since I got the idea to do this podcast and the lobotomy one's just been on the list for ages. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, this is a really out of left field. It's it's not true crime. It's not a famous person. It's not a, I'm just giving you a bit of medical history, my friend, a bit of a medical, mm-hmm. just the gist. So you ready for this? Keen to learn. Take it away. This is <clears throat> just the gist of the messed up history of the ice pick lobotomy. All right, I'm going to start with a quote. This is from a Guardian article interviewing Mm -hmm. a man who survived a lobotomy. Mm -hmm. What did it feel like, he says, from his home in Leeds? There is a long exhalation of breath on the end of the phone, halfway between a gasp and a sigh. It's a situation you should only go through once in your life, and that's when you're dying. It felt like a broom handle was being pushed in my brain and my head was splitting apart. So that's a quote from Howard Dully. Mm. He's a man who wrote a book about surviving, getting a, what is commonly referred to as a prefrontal lobotomy or an ice pick Mm. lobotomy. He survived going through that when he was 11 years old. You're kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I'm going to, this is what the procedure entails. This is what an ice pick lobotomy entails. This is what an 11 year old boy went through. The procedure involved taking a modified ice pick. So an ice pick is back in the day when they didn't have ice cubes, ice would just be a massive block. And you basically just Mm. got like this long metal kind of sword looking knife with a pointy mm. end and you and it had a wooden handle and then you would take a hammer and bang on the wooden handle and that would pick away at the ice so you could get little bits of ice mm-hmm. off your big block of ice. Mm-hmm. So the prefrontal lobotomy involved taking an ice pick, inserting it into a patient's eye socket, but above the eyeball, but in the mm. eye socket, And then the back of the ice pick is banged with a hammer. So the ice pick goes up into the brain. Then they Mm. basically just swish the ice pick around to damage the part of the brain that they think pretty much causes um, emotions and like Mm. unrest in a person. Then they do it in the other eye socket, swish it around again. And then um, this is all done while the person is awake it's not a, a anesthesia under mm. deep, what do you call it, um, general anesthesia thing. Yeah. And um, then the ice pick is removed and this apparently cures the patient of whatever mental disorder or mental illness they supposedly had before the procedure. So the whole thing takes mm-hmm. less than five minutes. It's very quick. In Howard Dully's case... His mental disorder was being a slightly naughty kid. That was pretty much it. So his mum died when he was five. His dad remarried and his stepmother wasn't very nice to him. So he started acting out as a lot of kids would. So he was like stealing lollies from the shops. Um, He was arguing back. Apparently he just genuinely had a pretty bad attitude. And his parents thought it would be a good idea to get the hugely popular new miracle procedure performed on him known as the Mm. lobotomy. And so when he wrote his book about it 45 years later, he was one of the only people who had recovered enough to be able to, you know, talk about the experience, let Mm. alone write a book. I mean, other people were left in nappies or unable to speak for the rest of their lives. Mm. Often people died. So how did the medical world get to a point in the 1950s where you could take an 11-year-old to a doctor's office, have an ice pick inserted through their eye socket into their brain in a five-minute procedure that seemed as innocuous and easy as getting a flu shot? Yeah. I'm I'm dying to to know the answer to that, and (laughs) I'm sure you'll go through detail. This is 
I mean, changing my perception immediately because I'd always thought that for a lobotomy, they would actually be cutting into your skull, Mm. peeling it back and then surgically removing a part of the brain. I had no idea that this was something that was so haphazard. So was this something that sort of evolved from what I thought a lobotomy? Okay. Yeah. So you kind of, you've taken us nicely into what I was about to say. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief history of the lobotomy before it hit the mainstream and became that very easy thing you could just get done in five minutes in a doctor's office. Mm -hmm. So doctors have been experimenting with crude brain surgery since forever. And the brain has always been a mystery to so much of the medical world because what it does is abstract. Like with the heart, you know, Mm -hmm. even 100 years ago, you could cut someone open and see that that bit connects to that bit, connects to that bit, which pumps blood into that bit. Like you can break down the mechanics of it. And with the brain, you can see the physical parts, but there's also so much of the brain that is abstract that we don't understand. Like where does consciousness come from? Why do certain people have certain personalities? Where do thoughts come from? Why do we feel love? And that's stuff that can't really be figured out by just cutting a brain open. I mean, the brain Mm. is twofold and that's why mental health and mental health treatment these days involves physical stuff like Mm. taking, you know, an antidepressant to help with your brain chemistry, but also mental stuff like psychotherapy, Mm. talking to a therapist. Mm. But back in the day, doctors, particularly brain doctors, were like, let's just do effed up stuff to the brain and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what they did. So in answer to your question, in the late 1800s and early 90s, it was about cutting a person's skull open and removing Uh parts of the brain. And they started Mm. doing that um, on dogs and chimpanzees. And they noticed with dogs and chimpanzees who were particularly uh, violent or aggressive or difficult to deal with, when they removed the um, prefrontal part of the brain, so the part that controls they don't know why it does but they know it controls emotions Mm -hmm. so they found out that if you remove that part the animals Mm. would become really docile and it wouldn't like they wouldn't die but they would just suddenly become so much easier to take care of which is kind of like an eerie prediction of what was to come that it sort of Mm -hmm. ends up becoming not so much about making a person better, but about making them easier to deal with. Manage, yeah. Yes. And then they started trying to improve on that procedure. So rather than cutting the entire animal's skull open and removing an entire part of the brain, they started drilling holes in the side of their head and pouring things like alcohol in there because they were like, this is much easier and that might be a way of saving us time of having to cut the whole Mm. thing open. So they would pour alcohol Mm. in there. Sometimes they would pour um, live malaria and diseases in there to use that to kill that part of the brain. (laughs) It was pretty nutso. So seeing how those brain procedures affected animals, a Portuguese Mm. doctor called Antonio Meniz, Dr. Meniz, was like, hey, you guys who are doing all those animal experiments, what do you think would happen if we did this on people? And those doctors were like, uh, well, no, you can't do this on people. <laughs> like, yeah. we're just testing this out on animals. Like, And mm. he's like, oh, my God, you're right, you're right. Sorry, like, bridge too far. Mm. Yeah, forget I mentioned it. And as soon as he left, he was like, psych, JK, I'm totally going to do it. And he went home and started doing it on people two months later. He was like, let's try this out. See, the thing is, he was a neurologist and he worked Mm. with a lot of people in mental hospitals and he was really disturbed with mental hospitals at the time, which were very disturbing places. People say they were like concentration camps outside of the war. Like Mm. people with mental health problems were just thrown in there and left naked and starving and it was just, it was awful. And he thought... Mm. Well, if I can do this thing to their brains, maybe it will make them more docile so they can go home and live with family. And it will mm-hmm. and if they have to stay in the mental hospital, you know, they'll be in more comfort, they'll be easier to look after. So he insists that he went into it with noble intentions. Mm-hmm. So he started doing a procedure that he called a leucotomy. And it was the same procedure that the others had been doing with the animals. So he was drilling holes in people's skulls 
and then he would either pour alcohol in there to damage the brain or he would stick like a long sort of knife needle in there to damage the brain. And it basically shuts down the part of the brain, like I said, that makes people overly emotional or difficult to deal with. He starts doing it to a lot of people and finds that it works. As soon as he's Mm. done doing it, these people are really docile, really calm. They're just like, hey, what's up? Because you've destroyed their brain. Like you've basically Mm. just, yeah. But he insists, though, that it should only be tried in the most extreme of cases, like when it's a last resort, like the people he was doing it to, he says, were violent to themselves or others. They had no hope. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It, like, it actually didn't always go super badly. So apparently there was a three-way split. A third of the people actually seemed a bit better. Like those mm-hmm. who had violent or aggressive tendencies managed to lose those tendencies and go on to live like a relatively comfortable life. Mm. In a third of people, there was apparently no change, but then the other third of people ended up like Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, like just sitting there drooling. Vegetables. uh, Vegetables. Mm. But Mm. that's the results he insists upon, so nobody knows if they're actually accurate. What he did was considered so important to the medical profession that he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1949. Shut up. Yes. Oh, my God. A prize that is contested to to this day, but he still legitimately has it. The Nobel Prize haven't retracted the prize, but a lot of doctors say they should. Oh, wow. Okay, so he was legitimised. Can I ask a question? What sorts of treatments were available before a lobotomy? Like, what steps did you go through before you ended up having your brain so, mashed? Sigmund Freud was a pioneering psychotherapy at the time. So mm. he was kind of the first person to say maybe mental health and brain problems and whatever don't have to do with something physical in the brain. Maybe it's all the psycho side of things. Mm -hmm. And so he was pioneering talk theory, but there were a lot of doctors who just considered that nonsense. And they're like, Mm -hmm. if there's something wrong with a person's brain, you've got to go into their brain and physically fix it. So there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot. There weren't yet any kind of medications for mental health. The only cures for things there really were was, you know, either trying to take care of people or putting them into mental hospitals. That was it. Mm -hmm. And only rich people were like getting treated by people like Dr. Freud. So Mm. a lot of women were given orgasms. Have you heard about that? Women who they considered hysterical would go to this doctor and he would um, give them an orgasm and they called that a cure for hysteria and that's how the vibrator was invented. But that's a whole (laughs) other, (laughs) just the gist. Yeah, we'll park that for now. What about electroshock? Was that on the menu at this point? Electroshock had started coming in around this time as well. And it was mm-hmm. electroshock therapy, like electro, con- I think it's called conclusive therapy or something. It's You can still get something today called ECT, which mm-hmm. a lot of people find incredibly helpful. But it's not today what it was back then. Back then it was incredibly crude and awful and you basically were like electrocuted on the sides of your head. And they mm-hmm. found that that just kind of, again, made a person more docile. A lot of these treatments were about making people easier to manage rather than making them feel better. By liquefying their brains. Yes, pretty much. So, but despite what Dr. Moniz, who is considered the father of the, like, lobotomy, but he did the leucotomy then, Mm. and he said, you know, I think this should only be used in final resort, like as a last port of call, only to people who are desperate. But then an American doctor called Dr. Walter Freeman came in and he was like, I don't know, I reckon I can make this super mainstream and like we can help anyone and not just super duper crazy violent people. Mm. And so Dr. Freeman is the one today who is considered the evil inventor of the ice pick lobotomy. He was a fan Mm. of Dr. Monier's, but he thought, why should we only do it to the worst of the worst? Why don't we make this mainstream and start doing it to depressed housewives? And here's where a bit of gender dynamics comes into play with Dr. Freeman. 
So one, Dr. Freeman's dad and grandpa had both been pioneer brain surgeons. His grandfather had been the very first person to remove, successfully remove a brain tumour. His dad was like this super duper important guy and wrote textbooks on brain stuff. But Dr. Freeman couldn't even get qualified to be a surgeon. He wasn't that great. So he was just a lowly neurologist. So apparently he had a massive small penis complex around not being as good or as impressive as his dad and his grandpa. That's gender dynamics mm. number one. Gender <laughs> dynamics issue number two. That's such a cliche. Gender dyna- I know. Gender dynamics issue number two is that Dr. Freeman and his wife, Marjorie, had lost a son in a terrible accident. They were fishing. His son walked to the edge of this waterfall to fill up his water bottle. He tripped and he went over the waterfall and drowned. It mm. destroyed Dr. Freeman's wife, Marjorie, who became severely depressed and stuck in her grief. She completely withdrew from life, became an alcoholic. And so... He was kind of thinking, man, I wish I could do something to fix my annoying wife who just won't get better. (laughs) Also, I need to be impressive to be, like, better than my dad and grandpa. So he's Mm. like, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring this brain surgery to America. So he does, and he's still doing it the original way. He's doing Mm. the drilling the hole in the head and doing it that way, and he's offering it to pretty much anyone who wants it. Here's Mm. the scary thing, though. Because he was just a neurologist and not a surgeon, he wasn't actually allowed to perform the procedure. He'd actually been banned from trying any surgery because he tried surgery once and someone died on his table. So he hires (laughs) a guy, he hires a brain surgeon called Dr. Watts and he's like, can you Mm -hmm. just be my hands? So I'll stand here and tell you, put the drill in there and put the knife in there and do that. And so they kind of work together, but Dr. Freeman is the one who's masterminding it all. Dr. Watts is just the skilled surgeon doing the actual Mm -hmm. surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, And they start doing it to a bunch of people. They start advertising it as like a miracle cure for any and all mental illness. And straight away, it had really bad side effects that they both knew about. They were like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to fix whatever's wrong with you, but it comes at the expense of that person's personality and intellect. Dr. Freeman Mm. wasn't hiding this. He even coined the term that it induces surgically induced childhood. And I'm going to read this to you because it's just, Mm. I don't normally read chunks of text, but this is crazy. This is um, something that Dr. Freeman said. The operation left people with an infantile personality. A period of maturation would then, according to Freeman, lead to recovery. In an unpublished memoir, he described how the personality of the patient was changed in some way in the hope of rendering him more amenable to the social pressures under which he is supposed to exist. He described one 29-year-old woman as being, following her lobotomy, a smiling, lazy, and satisfactory patient with the personality of an oyster (laughs) who could not remember Freeman's name and endlessly poured coffee from an empty pot. When her parents had difficulty dealing with her behaviour, Freeman advised a system of rewards of ice cream and punishment of smacks. So basically turn their 29-year-old daughter into a toddler. Oh, God. Knowing this, though, Dr. Freeman, because of that small penis syndrome, he didn't care and he wanted things to be bigger and better and he was sick of not being the one who was able to perform the procedure. That, like, really gave him feelings of inadequacy and shame and we know Uh. about men with shame. So (laughs) he hears about this doctor in some other country trying this thing on animals where he's taking something sharp and sticking it through an eye socket and dr freeman's like hey that's cool because that's no incisions that means it's not a major surgery that means we don't have to do it in an operating theater technically Mm. i'm qualified to do it that way so at home in his kitchen he starts practicing with an ice pick by inserting it into grapefruit And he practices that a few times. And that's his aha moment. He's like, I could do this on a brain. And it's not technically a surgery, so he can do it without Dr. Watts. And because he doesn't have to do it in an operating theatre, he could probably do ten times the amount of them. And so you know what? He's like, 
I'm going to take this thing on the road. <laughs> He's basically figured out the fast food way of performing this procedure. So he changes the name from lycotomy to lobotomy and he starts advertising, baby. He's like oh, depressed, gosh. sad, feeling a bit weird today. Got the sniffles. I'll fix <gasps> that. Dr. Watts is horrified because he's a proper mm. brain surgeon and he's like, you can't just stick a thing into someone's brain in an office. Like, you aren't mm. qualified. Stop. But Dr. Mm. Freeman is like, you're just jealous. I thought of it. Bye. So Dr. Watts just outies. He's like, I'm outie. He goes. Uh-huh. And Dr. Freeman, with his new lobotomy procedure, becomes like a media sensation because he's very much a showman. He loves the media. He loves inviting them to watch him do the procedure all the time. And because um, of the struggle he's experienced living with his very depressed wife, he knows Mm. how to market this to people. He's like, is there someone in your life who, you know, you don't know how to fix them? Like he really, because he knows what it's like to go through it, appeals Mm. to people's empathy and emotions in a way that he wouldn't otherwise be able to do, which is kind of Mm. gross. Yeah, so he's like, do you have a relative who's suffering? I can help. And he starts doing it on pretty much anyone. And it should be noted, mostly women. A lot of wives had it done to them without their knowledge. So he was like, (gasps) wife hysterical, like wife really sad after having a baby. Just bring her in and I'll fix it. Because husbands would take their wives into a doctor's office like it was a regular checkup and it took five minutes and he'd just stick it in there. And like like basically husbands would go to Dr. Freeman and say, but what if she gets her period? And Dr. (laughs) Freeman would say, oh, well, we'll just stick an ice pick in her eye socket cut up her brain until she's not annoying anymore. Problem oh. solved. <laughs> oh, my. And were they knocking the women out unconscious first and then doing the so procedure? this or? is how he would do it. He basically travelled the country and he would set up a little doctor's office wherever he went mm. and people would come in, they would lie down, he'd say to their um, relatives, oh, you know, go to the coffee shop across the street, come back in 20 minutes. So he'd lie the person down, usually a woman. He would often use electroshock therapy, which doesn't knock a person out, but it does kind of put them into a bit of a daze. So technically he's not stopping them from feeling pain. He's just stopping them from being able to say they're feeling pain. So he will knock them out with a bit of electroshock therapy. They'll lie there kind of awake, not really knowing what's going on. And then Mm. he'll take the ice pick, stick it in both eye sockets, leave them lying there for about five minutes. Then their relative will come back. He'll go, here you go. Take them home. La-di-da. Next. He's got a waiting room full of people. That is absolutely nightmarish. Do you have any idea how much he was charging for this service? 25 bucks a pop. (laughs) That's so grim. I know. I know. So... In the media, it begins to be touted by many as a miracle cure for any and all mental illness, also just difficult people. That's how Howard Dully ended up getting it done because his parents heard about this thing that makes people easier to live with. The most famous one that Dr. Freeman did was on Rosemary Kennedy, who was the sister Mm. of the Kennedy uh, brothers, so JFK and Bobby Kennedy. She Mm. was born in 1918, and when she was born, the obstetrician was a few hours away. So the nurse Mm. who was doing the delivery told the JFK matriarch to close her legs. So the head was out. They pushed the head back in, said, close your legs until the doctor gets here because the doctor needs to do this. But because her head had already come out, she'd started like breathing. So when they, when they shoved her back in, she was oxygen deprived (gasps) for a couple of hours. So she was then born a bit intellectually impaired. Yeah. Not in a huge way. Like from everything I've read about her, she had learning difficulties. So she just Mm. took longer than other kids to learn how to read. She struggled at school. Mm. She also just acted out a bit. But a lot of people have said in hindsight, she probably acted out because she was in this family filled with what was considered American royalty, children Mm. who were expected to go on to become presidents and senators. And she felt like she wasn't good enough. And they often tried Mm. to keep her hidden. They were embarrassed of her because she wasn't very smart. So a lot of why she acted out had nothing to do with 
any condition. It was just because mm. she was probably depressed and, and stuck in this awful situation. Mm. But when she was 23, her father, the Kennedy matriarch, took her to see Dr. Freeman without telling her mother. She was, by all accounts, like... A, she was a 23-year-old who seemed immature. She seemed, you know, mm. still like a teenager. But she had been well enough. She was presented to the Queen um, at court when she came mm. out. You know how they had their coming out debutante ball? Like, she yep. dated guys. She was studying to be a kindergarten teacher, but she was just difficult and embarrassing mm-hmm. to the family. Mm-hmm. So her dad takes her to see Dr. Freeman. Her procedure's done in 10 minutes. She is reduced to living the rest of her life as if she's a two-year-old. She can't Mm. speak. Her left arm is paralysed. She can barely walk. She wears nappies for the rest of her life. She is basically just complete, like, completely... Her brain is just decimated. Debilitated. They, um, from there, just kept her a total secret. Nobody in the family was ever allowed to see her again. Her father had a house built for her on the land of a mental institution and some nuns lived in the house and just helped raise her. And she lived that way. She lived as if she was a two-year-old until she was 85. She died, 86, she died in 2005. Mm, That's so so heartbreaking. Yeah. That's the thing with this procedure. Dr. Freeman, like, because then someone like Howard Dully grew up to be well enough to write a book. So mm. it's not that everybody ended up a vegetable or everybody ended up lo- like Rosemary Kennedy. It's that he had no idea. He was just mm. sticking an ice pick in people's brains and swishing it around and then saying, well, you get what you get. Oh. <laughs> it's awful. Was there, was there any so, sort of regulatory board at this well, time? That's what I'm getting to now. So Rosemary Kennedy was when things started to turn a little because there were rumours that her procedure had had disastrous consequences because the Kennedys were a famous family. Mm. Um, And, in fact, most people who had the procedure ended up, you know, docile and calm or whatever, but they were actually harder to look after than beforehand because Mm. a lot, most of them were like Rosemary Kennedy. You went from having a difficult, you know, adult to having an adult that you had to change their nappy five times a day. So that's not Mm. what people thought they were going to get. Like people for whom the damage wasn't long lasting, like Howard Dully, they were rare. But Mm. Dr. Freeman like had made the procedure so famous and accessible that by 1950, almost 50,000 people had had it done in the USA alone. 50,000 people had also had it done in the UK. Of those, 5,000 of the procedures were performed by Dr. Freeman himself. He lobotomized 19 children, including a four-year-old. Oh, oh, oh yeah. my God, that's Any, a punch anybody, to anybody who came to him, he would do it. He'd say, give me 25 bucks, I'll do it. He was just doing it to anyone. So with that many people getting it done and only a rare few not being horrifically damaged by it, Word was starting to get around that it didn't really work too well. And also he was getting a little too arrogant and was loving the spotlight a lot. He killed a patient because he stopped mid-procedure to let a journalist take his photo and accidentally knocked the pic too far into the patient's <gasps> oh. brain. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'm not laughing because cr- that's funny. I'm laughing no, because I feel very, horrific. very, very awkward. <laughs> Yes. He would do crazy things like take two ice picks and do both eye sockets at once. Like, look at me, double whammy. Like, he was just getting to the point where he was just showing off. And he didn't believe in things like gloves or hygiene. Apparently he would, like, be chewing gum during it. Like, just, oh, hey, guys, I'm on my 20th one today. Want to take my picture? Gum, gum, gum. Like, he just was evil or a monster, a monster. Oh, he developed. Like, I really the fast, hope he has a really awful demise. Oh. He developed like the fast food equivalent of hacking into people's brains, and it made him famous. And he loved it. He just he loved it. But he didn't actually ever get in trouble, really. Although, like, it got to a point where when word got around that it didn't 
really work and it was really horrifically injuring people. Everybody stopped performing lobotomies. They were like, we can't mm. do this anymore. This is bad. But he pressed mm. on, like, believing in his invention. He was like, no, mm. I do things the best way. It was also around this time in the 60s and 70s that the first uh, antidepressant was invented. So people mm. realised there is a way that we can, like, yes, like mental illness can or mental health problems like depression, anxiety can often have something to do with the physical chemical makeup of the brain. But instead mm. of sticking an ice pick in there, we can possibly <laughs> fix it with, you know, medication. Mm. And that itself did go on to have a very problematic trial and error period yeah. until mm. we're at where we are today where there's a lot of medications that work brilliantly for people but at mm. the time it was a revelation that you could get the calming comforting effects of the lobotomy that he had promised by just taking mm. a pill rather than yeah. getting an ice pick in your brain it was also mm. at this time that psychotherapy so the talk therapy that freud had been pushing you know for a hundred years really started to take off in the 60s and 70s. So the mm. medical profession started to realise that if somebody has a mental health issue, you deal with it twofold. You deal with the physical side of it through medication, not ice picks, mm. and the mental psycho side of it through therapy. Mm. And so there just wasn't a need for lobotomies anymore because as science and medicine does, it was evolving, it was getting better. But he just doubled down. He was like, nah, talk therapy's a joke. This is the only way of doing it. He was too arrogant to admit he was wrong. He once said, um, when asked about it, whether he was going to stop doing it, he said, I'd rather be wrong than boring. <laughs> yeah. he, didn't give, he didn't give a shit. He performed his final lobotomy in 1967 on a woman who died on the table. And it was <sighs> only at that point... The AMA, the American Medical Association, were like, hey, mm. we're going to ban you from doing this, mm. okay? So it took until 1967 for them to say you can't do it anymore. Um, That's disgraceful. I know. He died five years later, but he spent that five years travelling the country, meeting patients that he'd done it to because he wanted to write a memoir proving that his lobotomy procedure had been successful and it had worked he never ended up publishing that memoir because he wasn't finding people for whom it had worked he was finding a bunch of adult vegetables mm. whose lives he had decimated interestingly his wife died a couple years before him spent her entire life chronically depressed struggling with alcoholism and grief he never performed the surgery on her, which I think proves that he wasn't game enough to do it on someone close to him. You know what I mean? Because he was like, I, I know what would happen. Yeah, he knew what the yeah. odds were. Yeah. Uh. One of the most interesting parts of his legacy mm. is that after he died in the early 70s, he was survived by four children, one of whom is today a prominent psychiatrist the other of whom is a professor of neurology and all four of them vehemently defend his legacy and important contribution to neurology, psychiatry and brain surgery. Ew, you're Ew. kidding. Yeah, no, I'm they're, serious. They're, they're as bad okay. as the Trump family. But, okay, but devil's advocate here. This is what I'm going to bring up. A lot of people say that we would not have developed medication, there would not be antidepressants, psychiatric medication today if it weren't for him because he really did break through with the idea that mental health also could be considered a physiological, physical issue with the brain. Like you needed to do something physically with the brain rather than just sit down and talk to people like Freud said. And so if he hadn't have pushed the idea that depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, well, any, all of that stuff, if he hadn't pushed the idea that that also has a physical aspect to it, they would never have developed psychiatric drugs to treat the physical aspect of it. So his contribution was that he insisted that mental health didn't just have to do with talk therapy and thoughts. It had to do with 
the physical makeup of the brain, which is true. Mm. It's just the way he went about fixing that problem <laughs> wasn't yep. great. Yes. And let's face it, his intentions were not pure. No. He was charging he was- 25 bucks a pop like, you know, the guy from the Simpsons episode with the monorail. He was just yes. going around towns. Mm-hmm charging 25 bucks a pop to anyone who wanted to have a relative have an ice pick stuck up their eye socket. But that's what his children insist, that his contribution was proving that mental health can often be to do with the physiology of the brain, which is true. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's Yeah, but that's not what he was seeking to prove. He was seeking Mm. to make money. He himself said, what was it? I'd rather be wrong than boring. I'd rather be wrong than boring. Mm. Yeah. I'd rather gamble on people's livelihoods and their long-term health than, you know, maybe do a little (laughs) bit more research and Mm -hmm. be a little bit more cautious with my methods. He sounds absolutely disgusting. Monster, monster. So um, here's the thing. I was looking it up because I assumed, oh, well, this would be a thing that is absolutely illegal. No, no, lobotomies are still performed today. But in very rare cases, and they do it the way they used to do it, it's a proper brain surgery procedure, Uh takes hours, you go into an operating theatre, they remove part of your skull. I mean, it's basically when they need to remove part of people's brains for various medical issues, it's still referred Mm -hmm. to as a lobotomy. So technically, Mm -hmm. lobotomies are still performed, but not the ice pick lobotomy that Dr. Mm. Freeman made famous. That is no longer done. Did you give a number roughly of how many people had had this treatment done? The ice pick lobotomy? Yeah, it was... Yeah. By the time they stopped doing it in the US, it was around 50,000 in the US and around 50,000 in the UK. So he wasn't the only doctor doing it. He performed Mm. 5,000 of those. But other doctors were doing it as well because it just became like, hey, need a flu shot? come and get it. Like it was just e- mm. easy. You could just do it in an office. You didn't have to be, you know, a surgeon. You could just. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels really hard to believe that anyone would just chance it and have a go and book themselves or someone in their family in to have a lobotomy, mm. even if they just had the smallest inkling that they thought that it might not work. And yet I still today. It, but like. I can see it. I mean, you know, I've had my mental health stuff where at the very depths of feeling the worst and feeling like you can't see a way out of it and feeling like possibly harming yourself is the only way out of it. That is a feeling of desperation that if someone said to you, I have this miracle cure that's going to take that pain away. Mm. I can see a a lot of people willingly wanting to do it, possibly being excited about it. And people were. Yeah. And what I was going to say is for all sorts of things to this day, people are looking for a cheap, easy miracle cure. Mm -hmm. And whether that's something to do with vanity, like when people are willing to go and have off market fillers put into them and they end up with um, tire filler injected into their butts. Um, What about that woman who died because she had cement injected into her butt? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And people who take pills because they think it's going to make their hair grow back and they end up with all sorts of different hormonal Mm. issues. And people are looking for a quick, easy fix, which ideally is going to be affordable. And that's why he made so much money. Yeah. And that's why Gwyneth Paltrow has a wellness empire today worth billions of dollars. I've said Mm. it before and I'll say it again. But if we get to a point where people are taking medical advice from Gwyneth Paltrow... We have gone wrong somewhere along the line. (laughs) We need to retrace our steps, go back and start Mm. again. But Mm. I think that's just the nature of humanity. People are always looking for a better way to do things. And particularly for women who haven't been taken seriously by the medical profession. I mean, that's the reason things like endometriosis are only just now believed to be illnesses. Mm. Of course, they started looking elsewhere because doctors weren't coming through for them the way that they should have been. You know, so when miracle cures and snake oil salesmen and the monorail guy from The Simpsons show up, you're mm. like, this could be the thing that helps me. 
Yeah. And that's what he preyed upon. And that's why it made me so angry when I thought, like, he used the, like, he knew how living with his wife made him feel and he appealed to that sense of desperation in people when that yeah. could have been a way to connect with people and genuinely help people. And he was like, God, aren't ladies annoying when they won't stop crying? Let me stick an ice pick in her brain. <laughs> oh, Wow. So that is the messed up history of the ice pick lobotomy. And so he just lived out his days and <laughs> he, yeah, never I mean, was he, charged. No, no, died five years later and apparently died not getting to publish that victorious memoir because he didn't find enough people he'd actually helped because there weren't any. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, Howard Dully, he, even though he did go on to be well enough to write a book 45 years later, his life wasn't easy either. I mean, he was in and out of mental institutions. He had drug mm. problems. He was in prison for a while. And he says he doesn't know if that was because of the lobotomy or if he would have been like that regardless of the lobotomy. But I mean, either mm. way, he didn't have it easy and he had a lobotomy. So I feel like the cause and effect there is quite clear if you ask yes. me. <laughs> but um. <laughs> That's it. I mean, we give you just the gist, but if you want more, um, I'll put all the links in the show notes of stuff I read and looked at. There's this amazing episode of a TV show called Law with lots of um, gruesome reenactments of lobotomies where it sounds oh. like fruits getting cut into and it's disgusting. No, thank you. But yeah, that is the very messed up history of the ice pick lobotomy, which I thought was a nice palate cleanser from what was a very exciting, fun weekend. <laughs> so we'll be back next week. Love you all. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.